In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, both now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. We heard Jesus clearly say to us today that multitudes were following him. Multitudes came to follow him, but he says to them, he says to them, if you want to follow me, this is what it's going to take. You have to be willing to give up father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children. Yes, your own self, if you want to be my disciple. I want to tell you something. The, the difficult part is not saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. Like, let me give you another example. When Jesus was at the end of the, at the, end of the, the Sermon on the Mount, he, he tells a parable. The last parable he says, Matthew 7, and also in Luke. He says, a wise man built his house on a rock. The winds came and the water and this and that, and the house stood still. A foolish man built his house on the sand. The winds came, they pushed it, and it fell. So what's the difference? He says the, the foolish man came and listened, but did nothing. The wise man came and listened and did, right? So it's in, it's in the doing. It's in the doing. And we've all come. All of us have come out to hear Jesus. And this first part of the liturgy, like ending with the sermon, is called the liturgy of the word or the liturgy of the catechumens or the liturgy of those who are being taught. And we believe we believe that the word which is spoken, which is read, and the word which is spoken is the very word of God, able to change us. We believe that it is enough for us to hear the word of God, to be changed, and to find our repentance and our salvation. Like St. Anthony, walked into church, heard this gospel left, sold everything, made sure his sister was well cared for, and went into the wilderness or went to various elders first and then into the wilderness seeking his salvation. Jesus isn't telling us that it's an if. He's telling us that it's a when. When you're going to have to choose between me and brother or sister, when you're going to have to choose between me and father and mother, when you're going to have to choose between me and wife or husband, when you're going to have to choose between me and your very own children, when you're going to have to choose between me and your own self, who are you going to choose? Jesus is telling us when, not if, when. And this this is the very thing that causes how perfect, how beautiful, how glorious, how worthy God is to be revealed to the world. And that's what St. Paul was telling us, that the very persecutions that you are enduring, O Thessalonians, is the evidence of how righteous God is. Like, I tell you the truth, I hear this gospel, 
I used to always hear this gospel and I used to get scared because I come from a very tight-knit family. We're all really close. We all love each other very much. I can't possibly ever imagine choosing anything or anyone over my parents or my sister. Now, my wife and daughters. But back then, and when it came, when it came a point where I had to choose, I understood this gospel. I understood that, that Jesus is the easiest person in the whole wide world to get along with. Because what he says is actually what he means. He's not like saying stuff that you have to decipher through some cryptic code. It's just there. He's saying you're going to have to choose. And he's not saying like these are the prerequisites to enter this like really competitive university program or the, to get this really competitive position at work. These are the prerequisites. You have to be willing to... No, he's not saying that. He's just saying that. He's just telling us that if you're going to follow me on the path we're walking, along the way where we're walking, these things are going to come up. So get ready. Get ready. Get ready to choose me and you won't regret it. When I had to choose in a certain story, but I don't want to get into a story about myself, I went to my spiritual father and I was in a huge dilemma because I just didn't know what to do. He told me, choose Jesus. And the person that you're worried you're going to hurt their feelings, you're worried you're going to get upset them. I wasn't worried they're going to upset. They stopped talking to me entirely. They just cut me off, right? They will bless you. They will bless you. The come, time will come where they will see that you chose for yourself the good part. Like Jesus says about St. Mary, she's chosen the good part. St. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, sitting at his feet, talking to Martha. She has chosen the good part. It shall not be taken away from her. And indeed, my spiritual father's words were true. I want to share with you today on the Feast of St. Catherine, I want to share with you my story. I want to share with you the story in greater detail of this towering individual that really is not getting her due amongst us, St. Catherine. St. Catherine was born in, some, I found one source says 282, another says 290, end of the third century, okay? She was born at the end of the third century, for very wealthy parents. Of, she was from, Cy her parents were from Cyprus. From Cyprus. Her, her father was probably the governor or of high, really high-ranking official in Alexandria. Born, raised in Alexandria, died in Alexandria, but not Egyptian of ethnic descent. Extremely wealthy, brilliant, beautiful, likely of some royal lineage. When she was about 18, and to, to give you the context, when she was 18, at that point she was like, you know, she was considered, you know, past her, past, almost past her age of marriage. Uh, young women at that time were married when they were 14, 15, 16, something like that. So she was 18. Her mother was secretly a Christian. So she went, her mother went to her spiritual father, worried about this fact that, that Catherine is not accepting of any suitor. Because everyone who comes to her, she says, not smart enough. Not, he's not noble enough of his, his lineage. is not noble enough. He's not wealthy enough. And so on. She was too smart too beautiful, too rich, too noble for anybody. And her mom, like any mom, is worried, scared. So she goes to her spiritual father, who's a Christian, and he tells her, bring, bring her to me. So she brings Catherine and accepts to go to see him. And he tells her, I have the perfect man for you. More noble 
than the most noble of kings of the world, more wealthy than all the riches that you have ever seen or would ever see, more wise than all the wisdom of this age and all the ages to come, and so on. She says, where? Where is he? So he shows her an icon of St. Mary carrying Christ. And he tells her, go home, fast, pray, and ask to see your future husband, and you'll see him. So she goes home and she fasts the rest of the day and spends the whole night in prayer, praying to she doesn't know who, asking to I don't know who, to whom it may concern, to reveal to her her husband. And she finally falls asleep and in a vision she sees St. Mary, St. Mary as, as in the icon, holding Christ. And Christ won't look at her, he's turning away his face away from her. And he, she, she asks St. Mary, why won't he look at me? She recognizes this is probably him. Why won't he look at me? She doesn't know it's St. Mary, Jesus, she doesn't know. She said, why won't he look at me? And he, she says to her, Jesus answers, says to her, because your beauty is tarnished, your wisdom is temporal of this age, your riches will, will be moth-eaten, and so on. So she wakes up. She's never seen anything. No one has ever, no one has ever told her she's not beautiful. She's the most beautiful woman in Alexandria. Al Egypt was the breadbasket of the empire. Alexandria was like a major city of the empire. She goes to her mom. She brings, him back, brings her back to her spiritual father. And he explains to her that the beauty of this world is nothing to compare to the beauty which is to come and to the spiritual beauty which takes rise in, and, and is born in a new soul. The nobility of this world is, is perishing. Even if you're a, a king, whether you're a king or you're a peasant, a prince or a pauper, you will live, you will die, and that's it. And you will be forgotten. But those who follow Christ live forever and are remembered forever in heaven and on earth. Look at us, we're talking about somebody from, uh, you know, 1700 years ago. She's still remembered. What about the other hundreds of thousands, millions of people who lived at her time? Forgotten. But who's remembered? The saints are remembered. Tells her, this is not, you got, you got things, you've got things backwards. So she says, I want this. She humbles herself. She's very proud. She humbles herself and she accepts catechism. She accepts to learn. Catechism means to be taught by mouth. Like we we're saying, the word changes us. And she's baptized. She fasts and prays and she has another dream, another vision in which she sees again the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on the lap of St. Mary. And he looks at her with a big smile and he says to her, my bride, Catherine, and he takes her hand and he puts a ring on it. And when she wakes up, the ring is there. And to this day, when you visit the monastery of St. Catherine in Sinai, every visitor, they give them a ring and they call it the ring of St. Catherine to tell each one of us that we are the bride of Christ. He has chosen us and he will keep us to be his bride in the last day. She wakes up from this dream and then she's just on fire. She is so, so filled with the spirit. So happened at the same time that the emperor was visiting Alexandria for a pagan feast. 
And while he was there in this pagan feast, they would offer animal sacrifices and sometimes human sacrifices and so on. And there were music and dancing and all of this. Who goes to the feast? St. Catherine. And she demands to see the emperor. And the, the people who are around the emperor say, this is ridiculous, she's just a girl. Why would she want to see the emperor? It's a waste of his time. The emperor says, no, 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 come, come. In his jovial, you know, spirit, in his feast, uh, celebratory, so let's see, let's see this. Let's see this young girl. Let's, let's see what she has to say. So she comes and she stands before the emperor and she preaches her faith in Christ to the emperor, to the emperor of the whole world who was actively persecuting Christians. She, she says, the emperor's here in Alexandria. I will go to preach to him. She's 18. What was I doing when I was 18? Chasing squirrels and other people. <laughs> right? What was she doing? She goes to see the, she walks in to see the emperor. I have to see the emperor to tell him about Jesus about the love of Christ, I have to go. And she knew she would lose her life, for sure. In this feast, they're killing Christians. What, what kind of woman is that? What kind of woman is that? So the emperor, you know, he holds, he decides he gets a better idea than just chopping her head off. He says, I got a better idea. Why don't we make a public event of this? right during our feast he says gather the best philosophers the best orators in the whole empire whoever is able to come come let them debate this catherine whoever wins will be crowned with many jewels and wealth and honor in the empire whoever loses will be burned in front of everyone and so they call the debate and they call together all the philosophers and orators, over 50 philosophers and orators. Some sources say 150, but other sources, multiple sources say 50. Let's say 50. Come to debate Catherine. So the eldest of them stands up and most, you know, renowned of them stands up and says, look, this is kind of a bit of a joke. You know what I mean? Like we're professors of philosophy. This is an 18-year-old girl, no credentials. You know, let's, you know, let's just, let's just get this done. Let's not waste everybody's time. I'll, I'll take care of this. The other philosophers all agree. So he goes, he stands, he debates Catherine. And at that time, the philosophers were already starting to see that the, the, the pettiness of their gods, that their gods were somewhat petty in their behavior and so on. So they started to kind of allegorize the gods. You know, and say this is not this is not the God, God so and so. This represents an attribute, a divine attribute. Maybe there's only one God, not multiple gods. And uh, uh, the, you know, the this God has all of these different attributes, or maybe not. Anyways, there was all of this kind of discussion. So she plays on that, and she shows them how ridiculous their gods are, that they're fighting over foolish things. And they're, sometimes they're fighting over humans, but they're gods. Doesn't it make more sense that there is one God who is loving and who created humanity out of love and so on? The orators are amazed. I forgot to mention a detail before she goes to see, before she goes out to the debate, 
Archangel Michael appears to her and he says to her, don't worry, I'm with you. I will stand by you. I will strengthen you. I'll give you the words and the wisdom and the knowledge that will be irrefutable before these orators. The chief philosopher is silenced. He has nothing to say. And the emperor calls, starts calling all the others. Somebody come say something. Somebody do something. Right? Nobody wants to speak. They're all convinced. The emperor is furious. He's furious. And he says, light the fires, this and that. You're all going to be burned. They all kneel in front of Catherine and say, bless us. Baptize us now. And she says to them, let this be your martyrdom. And she baptizes them on the spot in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Obviously without water or sacrament or ritual, right? And they go into the fire and they die. But their bodies are not burned. The first great miracle during this contest. I mean, it's, it's, a great, it's, a, it's an amazing thing that an 18-year-old has this courage and boldness. It's a fantastic thing that she's able to silence all of these orators and so on. But the first thing which is clearly evident to everybody, nobody can explain it by anything. These 50 or 150 men are thrown in the fire. They die, but their bodies are not burned. And they leave them in the fire and they don't burn. The emperor Maximian is furious. He has her thrown in prison and he has her flogged. They strip her naked. Very humiliating for her. She's, remember, she's a noble woman. And they flog her for two hours until her entire body is covered with, 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 the, with stripes from, from, from being whipped. He withholds food from her. He says, you, you, nothing to eat until, until you recant. The more they beat her, the more people believe. The emperor is going nuts. She knows that the gospel is to turn the other cheek, is to continue to live love and preach love, even and especially in the face of persecution. Who gets very much intrigued by all of this and just cannot understand it? The empress, Augusta. She says, I've got to go see this. So she asks Porphyrius, the, the general in, in Alexandria, who was a close friend to the emperor and to his family, and so a close friend to her, if he would take her to go see Catherine. So what does Porphyrius do? He gathers 200 soldiers and takes Augusta to go see St. Catherine. And she asks Augusta, Empress Augusta, asks St. Catherine, why? Like, you could have stayed home. Like, why? Why this? So she begins to preach to her about Christ. And she preaches the gospel to her. And, a, and as she's preaching the gospel to her, she says, Look, there's a crown of light above your head. You too will accept Christ. You too will be a martyr. And she accepts Christ and she baptizes her there. And the 200 soldiers witness this. And then one of the officials, the emperor, sorry, goes to visit her in prison. The emperor visits her in prison and he tells her, look, I will give you whatever wealth you want in the kingdom. I will make you my queen. I will reinstate you to your former nobility and your former glory. This whole thing will be forgotten. And she tells him, never will I recant. One of his officials tells him, look, we have this amazing instrument of torture these four wheels that we put the person through them. By the time they come out, they're like flat like a pancake, you know? 
There's like a, a roti restaurant here on Queen Street. Wet, you know, they put this ball of dough in. It, it comes out, literally, it comes out like two millimeters, you know. I imagine it was something like that, you know. Pancake Catherine, that's what you're going to get. What do you say? The emperor says, sounds good. It will be a nice, another public display. Then we'll get, this, we'll get this done with. And that's why she's always pictured with a wheel. They come to put her on the wheel. They just put her on the wheel. An angel descends from heaven and crushes the four wheels in front of everybody. Over 3,000 believe and start chanting, we believe in the God of Catherine. We believe in the God of Catherine. The emperor goes crazy. He says, kill them all, kill them all. And they start massively massacring all of these people. Remember, all of these people came to watch the death of St. Catherine. Like it was like sport for them, you know? They were coming, you know, to the arena to watch St. Catherine be crushed on the wheel. You know, it was like, a, it was like an event, you know? These people believe and end up getting slaughtered by soldiers in the stands, you know? Because they, re they refuse to let go of this new faith that they have. And that's why you also find that most of the martyrs in their icons are, are holding a cross. It's, it's, a, 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 it's an old tradition. Sometimes it's difficult to do, like with St. George, because he's holding a spear and all these other things. But you'll find at the top of the spear is a cross. You'll find oftentimes there's an, a cross in the icons of, of the martyrs. The empress goes to the empress, tells him, you're a fool. You're making a fool of yourself. Can't you see what's obviously before your eyes? She tells him, even I have accepted the faith and have become Christian. And that's about November 23rd. And the, the emperor kills St. Catherine, uh, kills, sorry, his wife, Augusta. November 24th, yesterday, the 200 soldiers and Porphyrius, the general, also announced their faith and the emperor kills them. November 25th, the emperor can't take it anymore and he decides to kill St. Catherine and she's beheaded. She's, the believers take her body and, and they, you know, deal with it with great reverence and so on. And then, centuries later, her body disappears. They think it was stolen and they don't know what happened. Only to be found in its coffin, everything as is, in Sinai. So we don't know how it got there. They say angels carried it. We don't know. And a monastery is built in Sinai after her name. And that's where her remains are until this day. Her hand is, is intact and incorrupt with the ring still on it. And so when you visit the monastery of St. Catherine, they give, you a, they give you this ring. This is a beautiful example for all of us. A beautiful example for all of us of the enormous courage. St. Catherine didn't hear about the cost of discipleship. And be worried, will I be able, will I not be able? St. Catherine heard about the cost of discipleship that I will have to choose between father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, yes, my own self. She heard that and she rejoiced. She heard that and she sought the opportunity. When will I, Lord, be allowed, be able to offer myself this reveals the goodness of God. Because nobody does that. Nobody does that. Unless 
they have really been filled with the Spirit of God Himself. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.